The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day it pours forth speech, and night after night it reveals your knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. It is rising from the ends of the heavens to declare your glory and your wonder. Father, we want to join with all of creation to declare your worth and your goodness and your majesty here today. We want to join with creation that is groaning and longing for the return of your son Jesus so that all things would be restored into its proper place of perfection and of worship before you. So, Lord, though we long for the return, God, until that day comes, until we are finally home, we ask for the grace for you to pour out your Spirit into our hearts and that would overflow through our lives to extend grace upon grace to this world that is dying for it. Nations like the Philippines, nations like North Korea, God, until your return, may we be channels of grace to these nations so that they will get a taste of your goodness through your body, through your church. And that as your church lives out the gospel, as your church declares the gospel, may more nations fall in love with the gospel and the God who saves through the gospel. So Lord, we pray that prayer for North Korea, for the Philippines, for the nations of this earth to know the name of Jesus as their Savior, as their healer, as their Redeemer. And we pray that same prayer right now for this place and for this nation of South Korea, that we would know you more intimately today and that we would fall in love with you by the truth that we hear. So ready our hearts to be changed by it. Father, strengthen me now. And by your grace, use me for your glory so that hearts would revere, fear, and love Jesus more because of the word that is declared and heard at this time. So now, Father, as I commit this time and myself to you, use me as you will. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing and honorable in your sights, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. And it is in your precious Son's name we pray. Amen. You know, it's been a real blessing uh, interacting with my almost two-year-old son Enoch these days because he's talking a lot more with words that we can actually understand. Uh, you know, until now he's been speaking his own language, which I wasn't sure if it was like the gift of tongues or something, but he's very intentional and passionate about things that he has to say, like, and I was like, as if we're supposed to understand, uh, okay, yes, uh-huh. and you know, I've shared before that he loves preaching, and he still loves preaching, he'll, uh, sometimes after, you know, on Sunday nights, I think because he's a part of the services, he'll point to heaven and still like walk back and forth, pointing to heaven, and, you know, and 
And so we just are sitting there, me and my wife, as a two-member audience of his church, uh, just cheering him on, saying, amen, come on, preach it. You know, um, but now he's able to say words that we actually understand, praise the Lord. Uh, and uh, like a lot of children, one of his favorite words is no. You know, so, uh, you know, when he's playing and it's bath time, I said, Enoch, come on, it's time to take a bath. He'll be like, No. And then he'll go back to playing. So finally, we have to bring him over, and then he likes the water, and so he begins enjoying bath time. It's like, all right, time to drive. Let's get out. He's like, no, right? And so it's a common favorite word amongst a lot of children. And also, uh, one of the words that he says these days that really touches me is, you know, he now knows different parts of his body, and he sometimes said in English or Korean, and uh, he'll, if something is irritating his eye or if something got in his eye, instead of rubbing it, he'll actually say noon, noon, which is eye in Korean, and he'll grab our hand and, you know, trust that our hand will fix whatever is irritating his eye. And that really melts my heart because, as you guys know, the eye is a very sensitive part of your body. I mean, you usually don't want other people to touch it. Uh, but he trusts us so much, he says, my eye, my eye, and he trusts that we'll fix whatever is wrong. And another word that he'll say often is uh, when he's finished eating, uh, he'll say, bye-bye, you know, so basically saying, get me out of this chair, you know, let me play again. Uh, but my all-time favorite words that I understand uh, to a degree that he says is the way that he says, I love you. You know, because uh, especially during bath time, uh, when I give him a bath, I'll teach him different words, you know, like Jesus or, you know, different things like that, or amen, you know. And, uh, but one of the words that I was really excited about teaching him were the words, I love you. And now what's interesting is normally when my wife and I teach uh, Enoch words, if we say it in English, he will obviously repeat it in English, like uh, circle, and he'll say circle. You know, if we say blue, he'll say blue. Uh, or if we teach him in Korean, uh, he'll repeat in Korean, you know, like se uh, for three. So, but what's very peculiar, <laughs> besides somebody laughing at my Korean, <laughs> uh, is, okay, I'm used to it, all right? I'm secure in who I am, all right? I'm very much used to people laughing at my Korean, so no problem. Um, anyway, where was I? Enoch, yes. All right. So what's interesting is, again, so normally as we're teaching him different vocabulary, different languages, uh, he will repeat, again, English, English, Korean, Korean. But he has his own uh, wording or his own language for I love you. So again, we'll say blue, blue, circle, circle. And then we say I love you, he'll say hi -o. And so again, he knows I love, you know, Korean as well. So we'll say, you know, we'll, I won't say Korean now because <laughs> I'll distract some of you. <laughs> So we'll say it in Korean, and then we'll say, okay, I'll say it in Korean. 사랑해, you know, love you. And he'll say, hi-yo. You know? And so I'm very curious about that. So if, if hi-yo is I love you in a language that you know, please let me know, because I'm trying to figure out what language he's speaking when he says I love you. And so my conclusion is maybe it's the language of heaven. You know, I don't know. But uh, it's very uh, fascinating that that happens. And what's also really touching my heart so often is especially right before he goes to sleep, you know, some, we'll be lying down next to him, and sometimes he'll just uh, rub our face and then say, hi-yo. So again, it's his way of saying, I love you. An extremely touching moment and very intimate moment with our son. And I realized that one of the most powerful uses of language is when we are able to express love through it. 
You know, and even through a child, to be able to express that, I realize that that is one of the most powerful functions of the words that God has given us. You see, there is great power in our words, both for good and both for evil that we have experienced throughout our lifetime and in this world. But what we want to ask ourselves today is what really is the purpose of language, of the words that God has given to us, what really is its ultimate biblical function and purpose? Now, you might be thinking, well, we have words so we can communicate. Yes, that's true on a very basic, fundamental reasoning, but what is the greater, deeper, biblical reasoning of why God has given us words? Uh, and that's what we want to look at today. Uh, why did God give us words within the human life that we live in? So turn with me to James chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 18 uh, as we will look at the power of our words, how they hold great power, and the purpose of those words that God gave to us. You could follow along with me in your outline as well. And uh, we'll explore uh, the biblical basis of understanding our words for our lives. Now, one of the first things that we see James speaking to us about today uh, is a warning, actually. And in fact, he begins by saying, be warned of your position. So everyone repeat, be warned of your position. All right, so he gives a warning before he gives the explanation of why words are so important and powerful within our lives. And that warning is crucial for us to understand. So let's look at James chapter 3, starting from verse 1. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also able to brittle his whole body. Now, this is a pretty big statement and a pretty big warning about the words that we say. So he first of all says, not many of you should be teachers. Now, we'll expand on that in a moment. Uh, but then look at what he says in verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. We all sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. So we agree with that. He says, we all stumble in many ways, verse 2. And he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says. Now, of all the examples of the ways that we sin and mess up and hurt people, the one area that he is stressing is how we are so susceptible to sin and to harm others in what we say. Because if you could control what you say, then you are a perfect man or woman, able to keep your whole body in check. So he gives this warning because of how prevalent this sin is within our day-to-day -day lives. We will often sin against others through our speech. Lying, gossip, slander, right? many ways that we can harm other people. And so because of the powerful ways and the many ways that we sin through our speech, he gives a warning. I'm saying not many of you should be teachers. Now, what's the connection there? He says, you see, you need to understand that being a teacher back then was sought after by many people because of the respect that came with the position. Now, it's not as prevalent in our day and age, especially the respectfulness of a teacher's role or even a pastor's role, at least not in all cultures, 
A little bit different today, but still happens to some degree in our generation as well. You know, I've met with people who've, uh, throughout my years in ministry, who have talked to me or wanted to talk to me or wanted prayer for me, saying, hey, Eddie, you know what? Uh, I really would love your prayers because I want to be a pastor. And I say, oh, okay, that's great. Why? And they'll say, oh, because you know what? No one listens to me and nobody respects me. And so I want to be a pastor because I, I realize that if you're a pastor, people will listen to you and respect you. So in my mind, I'm thinking, uh-oh. So sometimes when they ask for prayer, I'll use your prayer. God, give this man humility. Lord, please let your will be done. I know that even if you don't want him to be a pastor, you know, I'll stress something like that. No, no. Well, anyway. Um, so if you ever hear that kind of prayer, you know, when you've asked for me, then think twice. No. Um, but uh, it's, it's an issue, though, when I meet people, and I have many times, who want to go into ministry or in a position of respect or influence for the wrong reasons. Again, it's not, uh, striving to be a pastor for the wrong reasons is not as prevalent in North America anymore uh, because the pastor's position is not as respected as it once was in previous generations. But the role of pastor still is very respectable, generally speaking and relatively speaking, in Korean culture. Not in all Asian cultures. I definitely know of some of you uh, in different parts of Asia, Southeast Asia, your home countries, they still have a very, very low view of the pastor's role. But at least in South Korea, it's still somewhat respected uh, to be a pastor. And so I've met so many people because of that, they enter ministry because they're longing for the applause of people uh, as a primary motivation. And also I know of one guy, he wanted to be an elder for decades. He wanted to be a leader in the church, and he never could. Uh, he didn't get the vote of his peers. He didn't get the recognition of his pastor, so you know what he did? He left that church, went to seminary, and became a pastor so he could finally be a leader of a church. And so when I heard that too, in my heart, I'm thinking, uh-oh, that is not good for that congregation. And so James is warning us here today. There is a danger when people want to be leaders, teachers, pastors for the wrong reasons because with position comes greater influence and with greater influence comes greater accountability before God. Look at verse 1 again. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because for you, you know that we who teach or are in a position of influencing other people will be judged with greater strictness. So there will be a greater judgment of accountability for those who teach and influence others. And so he's saying, be warned of your position. If you are in a position and a platform of influence, he's saying, be warned of your position. Because how we use our influence matters greatly to God. Growing up, uh, there were certain athletes or celebrities who would say, I am not a role model. You know, so if your kids follow my example, hey, I'm not a role model, I may do my thing, I'm an adult, I can do whatever I want, so if your kids do that, it's not my fault, but they're, they're actually wrong. Because anyone who is in a position of influence becomes a model for those you are influencing to pattern their life after. So we are role models for those we are able to influence. And we will be accountable before God for the ways that we influence others. So if we influence others to love God more, to serve Him, to bless Him, and to live your life for Him, there will be great reward. So therefore, people of God, use your influence. 
to cause others to strive after God, to live for the Lord, to not put studies or work first, but to understand that our lives are meant to be lived first for God and then for our family ministries, our marriage ministries, but to understand that our life is meant to be lived for Him and to use your influence to cause others to understand that their value systems and how they live must be governed through the Word of God. Amen? That is how we are to live and how we are to utilize our positions of influence. But on the flip side, he says, if we influence others to sin instead of striving for God, there will be greater judgment. Luke chapter 17, verse 1 and 2 has one of the most shocking, humbling, and scary warnings that Jesus gives. Luke 17, 1 says, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. So he says, Temptations will come, different people will lead people to sin, but he says, Man, you do not want to be the one who influences others to sin. Verse 2, he says, It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. He's saying it's better if you would have just died on the spot before you influenced others into sin. So he's saying be warned of your position. Be warned of your positions of influence. So seek positions of influence if you want, but if you do, you do it with your eyes wide open. Not focusing on the respect, but on the responsibility you have. Realizing that there is great opportunity, but also great accountability that comes with it. And so when we serve, when we want to serve, when we want to be in places of influence, that our motive is not because of the applause of men, but for the applause of God, that we live for the audience of one. That is the most important position your life will always be in, and that is to live in light of the audience of one to whom we ultimately serve. Amen? That is how we are to live, for the audience of one. So be warned of your position. And to understand with it comes great accountability and responsibility. But also, he gives this warning. Be aware of your power. So everyone repeat. Be aware of your power. Did you know that you are powerful? Turn to somebody next to you. You are powerful. Now, there's some arrogant guy saying, I know. Yeah, I know. And then there are some false humor. Oh, no, not me. No, no. But there is power in our words. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. And God's word is powerful. With his words, he said, let there be light. Light was created. And with his words, he said, let there be life. And life was created. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created. He spoke and there was. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There is power in the Word. Jesus is the Word, and He came into the world to save it through the Word of the Gospel. He made words capable of holding great power, even the words of men and women. And so there is great truth in the saying, the pen is mightier than the sword. 
Therefore, we need to understand and be aware of our power. Because you are made in the image of God, because you have power in your words, it means you are powerful as well. And so you need to be aware of it so that you use it properly. But what kind of power do we have with our words? There are many avenues where this power is released through the words that we speak. You see, with our words, we have the power to influence others and sometimes even control others. James 3.3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So he says, though small, right, just small pieces of sugar or food, though small, that can control the whole body of a horse and the whole body of your friends sometimes, right? Though small controls the whole body. Though small, a rudder can move a whole ship. And though small, our tongues can move the direction of life of ourselves and of others. Words are powerful weapons because it is through words that we influence and can bring change to a person, to a nation, to a generation. Words are even what determine what we believe. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So even our faith has been formed and determined by the words of the gospel. Words that we speak and understand placed in a certain order to comprehend and understand and declare a certain message of the gospel changes souls for all of eternity. That is the power of words put together. And the influence that we have upon people is so strong and the warning against influencing people against sinning is also so strong in Scripture. That is why Paul says in Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing because he knows that the words that we speak within the circumstances of our lives can influence others to sin by how they perceive the influences and the circumstances within our lives. So he's saying be aware of your power. Also with our tongues, it is powerful because we have the power to destroy lives. So be aware of that. James chapter 3, verse 5 and following says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. So again, he's talking about destruction. A small spark, yes, it is small, but it can reap havoc of destruction. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting the, on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Those are some strong words revealing the source of the sin that comes through our speech. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So our words have the power to destroy life, 
and to even destroy a soul for all of eternity. So many animals, he says, can be tamed, control, but no one can tame and control the tongue. Social media today is a prime example of this kind of power that can destroy. It's used by many to bully and destroy lives. And earlier this year, a teen committed suicide because of social media bullying. The Korea Herald reported just last week, a 15-year-old student received a prison term. 15-year-old student, right? Received a prison term on Wednesday for habitually bullying a classmate until he jumped to his death. The 50-year-old uh, victim, surnamed Kim, leapt to his death from an apartment building in Daegu in earlier June this year after enduring months of beatings, extortion, and abuse. Shortly before his suicide, the bully student wrote that he, might, he desired to take his whole life, take his own life, because he just could not stand the abusive words that his classmate threw at him time and time again. That is the power of words that destroys. This is not just a problem with teens in Korea. Many celebrities have often chosen suicide because of the abuse and the words spoken on their chat room sites or their fan websites where different people would write different things like, you're a horrible actress, I hate you, just die, just kill yourself. And you know what some of these people found out later that these people writing them, some of them were elementary school students. And yet, it is through the power of words, even by a 10-year-old, that can reap extreme destruction in the life of an adult. You know, I know of one friend who got married not too long ago, and afterwards, he gained weight like most guys would, right? And someone commented over and over again, again, we talked about this before, the Korean way of saying you look good, right? Wow, you look healthier after you got married. And then he kept persisting. Marriage is really treating you well. Your waistline is really growing very well. And then he says, you look very healthy in the Korean way, right? And the next time he says, wow, you look really healthy. <laughs> and it angered him. And he never cared about his weight or his size or his you know, physique before. But he said, because this guy kept telling him how healthy he looked in Korean. It made him so self-conscious. It's like for the first time in his life, he became so self-conscious about how much he ate, what he ate, and what he looked like in the mirror, and he never wanted to meet that guy again. Because one guy kept using his power, his words, in a way that discouraged him instead. But also there is a power in our words that give life and blessing. Instead, look at verse 9 of James 3. With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And that is what it was made for. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh 
and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So it reveals that we have the power to bless and the power to curse, the power to give life and the power to take it away through our words. Proverbs 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And we all know this to be the case, but especially for those of us who have as our love language words, we understand how powerful one word can be and it can affect us like nothing else. You hold in your hand, but also you hold in your mouth the power to make someone's life the greatest day that they've ever had or the greatest hell that they've ever had. That power is within us. And so we need to be warned of our positions of influence, the platforms that God gives to us. We need to understand that we do have great power and be aware of it. Not to abuse it, that's not why we're revealing today that you need to be aware of your power. You need to be aware of it so you use it for its proper intended purpose for the glory of God. And what is that purpose? Therefore, as we understand these truths, the third thing we learn from our passage today is that we need to be wise with our purpose. Everyone say, be wise with your purpose. So be wise with the purpose of why God gave you words. And speech to you. So know the proper purpose of your words, of your power, and use them wisely for his glory. Look at verse 13 and following of James 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, what's interesting here is he emphasized that it is the wise person who will know the proper use of words and use them in its proper purposes. But the example that he gives here is very interesting. I wouldn't have expected it. The key example that he gives here in terms of are you wise, are you, do you know how to use your words, is found in the example he gives in verse 14 and following where he says, but if you have bitter, what? Jealousy. And selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false with this truth. Verse 15, this is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. And where does he say the source of this jealousy comes from? It is demonic in its nature. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there you will have great evil in your midst. Now, why does he speak so negatively of being jealous? Is it so bad that, man, he has, he has the latest iPad and I don't? I mean, is that so bad to be jealous that, man, she has bigger eyes than I do, right? Is that, 
Why does he say that is demonic? Because you see, when we are jealous of another person, when we want what they have that we do not have, in jealousy, we dishonor the grace of God in other people's lives. Because all that we have is gift, it is grace. And when we desire or are angry and bitter and resentful at somebody else because they have something we don't have, we dishonor the grace of God in their life for the way that God has blessed them, but also we dishonor the grace of God in our own life as we do not give thanks for that grace within our lives. And so he's saying that if there is one thing that manifests the selfish, demonic nature within our hearts, it is when we begin looking down on others, that we are evil in our intentions, in our thoughts, in our speech towards others because we do not have what we want in their own lives. And see, the wise person will know the proper use of words and its power and use them for their proper aim. Scripture reveals that the depth of our wisdom will be seen through our words. Proverbs 17, 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So the one who is able to control his tongue is one with deep wisdom. Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, sin is not lacking, meaning a big mouth means big trouble. So if we are very careless with our words... It means that is the best soil for sin to run rampant. The wise person will know the proper use of words and use them for their proper aim. So what are the proper purposes of our words? I think we've narrowed it down to two key purposes. What are the key biblical purposes of why God gave us words? Twofold. Number one, to bless God. Why did God give us words? So that through words we might bless God. Second key purpose of why God gave us words, to bless God, yes, but secondly, to build up others. That is why we have words. That is the filter through which we must filter all of our words to see, is it a blessing to God? Is it a blessing to others? Are we building others up? So the first question we want to ask is, so are we Blessing God through our words. Do we use our words to bring blessings to God through prayer and through praise? You see, communicating to God through prayer and praise is the primary purpose of our words. God gave us the gift of words and communication so that we might communicate with Him and commune with Him. And prayer is one of the greatest uses of the gift of language. Amen. It is the most powerful, beautiful expression of thanking God for the gift of words. Ephesians 5, 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving in your speech. So again, that is the purpose of our words, to give thanks, to understand that there is grace in your life, and I give thanks to God for that. And there is grace in my life, and I give God thanks for that. But also, we are to use our words to build up others. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Your words have the power to extend grace, the grace of God to those who hear your words. And when we use our words properly, it gives glory to God and extends His grace to those who hear. You see, the reason why we need to understand the power of words is because we have all been affected by its power. The words your parents spoke to you shaped who you became in many ways and how you think about yourself. Your self-image today was greatly influenced by the words spoken over you by influential people in your life. You know, the Harvest Business Review did a study on this one time and discovered that negative words have so much more power than positive words, and I'm sure we've all experienced that. So they did a study uh, and found that we need about 5.6 positive comments for every negative comment spoken to us, that it affects our self-image, it affects our work efforts, it affects the quality of what we do and the quality of our relationships. So if we are bombarded by negative comments, that's going to affect the outcome of our lives in many ways. But let's flip it to the responsibility given to us. How you speak forth your words will greatly affect others. That if you are prone to criticize, complain, condemn, point out, if, if this is your default, and if you're not sure if what's more common in your language, ask a good friend or ask your spouse, all right? They're not going to be, they, sh- they should be honest to you about it, right? If you are filled with complaining, cursing, condemning, right, if that is your language, then you are a source of destruction for people's lives. But if you are a source of blessing and of building up, you are a source of life for other people. You see, what Harvest Business Review found in the study is that those who did not have this ratio, about five to six to one, they crumbled more, the quality decreased as time went on, but ultimately this confirms God's purpose for our words as well, is that we were created to bless God and build others up. Now, does that mean we only say nice things and no constructive criticism? No, it means we learn how to speak truth in love. Another way you could say it is we learn how to speak love through truth. But the best way to speak truth in love is to fill your mind with truth, with good, deep, solid theology, and let your heart be filled with doxology, because again, again, all theology is meant to lead to doxology. Why is this important? Why fill our minds with theology so that our hearts would be filled with doxology? Because out of the overflow of the hearts, the mouth speaks. Everything that we say is a reflection of the condition of our hearts. Everything. Every word you speak to those you are most comfortable with and those who rub you the wrong way, everything that you say is a reflection of the condition of your hearts. And so that is why we guard our hearts and we influence our minds with the goodness of God and His truth. Amen? You know, there's a woman in a village who maliciously gossiped about another neighbor that she did not really like. 
and she would gossip and slander her and her family until all the village knew of this horrific stuff that this lady gossiped about. One day she found out that what she thought of this family and what she said was actually wrong. And she felt bad. And she had a change of heart. So she went to the village wise man and asked how she could take back all the wrongs that she had done. And the wise man told her to go home, kill all your chickens, pluck all their feathers, and bring them back into a bag. And she's like, I can do that. So she went home. She killed all the chickens, plucked all the feathers, put it in the bag, and went back. And after this, she went. So it's here it is. So am I, am I like forgiven? Am, am I not free? And will everything be okay now because of the wrong that I've done? He says, no, there's still one more thing you need to do. Now with that bag filled with feathers, go out into the village and release them into the air. So she's thinking, I could do that. It's probably symbolic, you know, the freeing of the feathers and the freeing of my soul from all the wrongs that I've done. And so she ran out, and throughout the village, she spread out the feathers, thinking in her mind, I am free. I am free. I am forgiven. All the wrong that I spoke against my neighbor, it's nothing. It's free. She was all happy. So she went back to the wise man. I did it. Am I free now? Am I, everything's cool now? And he said, no, there's one more thing. Go back out and pick up every single feather that you released. And she was shocked. She's I can't do that. By now the wind has carried all the feathers far beyond the village and beyond. And then the wise man replied to her, says, and so it is with your careless words. They are like the feathers scattered in the wind. You cannot retrieve them again. Should we just close in prayer right now? <laughs> just so bad. Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So it's a warning that there are consequences to every word spoken. They cannot be taken back again. And so you might be like, Eddie, man, that's kind of bad news. I feel pretty bad. I've said some pretty bad stuff about some good people. You see, you cannot fix every mistake, every rumor, every slander that you've caused another to suffer through because of your words. You can't fix every sin spoken, but you can be forgiven for them. And that happens when we use the primary purpose of our words again, and that is to bless God through prayer and seek to build up the one whom we've harmed and sinned against. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, if we use our words for its proper purpose, and that is to bless God by declaring, God, I have sinned, and you are the only one who can save, forgive, redeem, and restore the sins of my mouth. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us of our sins and to purify us of all unrighteousness. So prayer is one of the greatest uses of the gift and power of our words. Amen? But also, as we're doing this study uh, through our small groups, the peacemaker, when we use our words to strive to establish peace again with one another, that too is a source of blessing and life. Because if you look at verse 18 again, it says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So when we use our words for their intended purposes again, and that is to make peace, to confess our sins also to them, to ask for forgiveness. The words that were used to bring harm, God can redeem to bring life. Amen? And when we use our words to declare the majesty of Jesus. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we use our words to declare the worth and the majesty of Jesus, that He alone is God and He alone can save, redeem, and restore. And so we fill our hearts and our minds with this truth, with more of Christ and His Word, so that that will be what overflows from our mouths. For all things are to be done to the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink or speak or type, do it all to the glory of God. And so we use our words to tell God of our need for His help and His grace within our lives and within our words. And so we pray. Psalm 19:14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. He can redeem and restore the years that the locusts have eaten away. That is our God. And that is the power of the gifts of words He has given to us. Amen. Let's pray. Can we come honestly and humbly before the Lord right now? And if we need to confess the sins of our mouths, the sins of our words, can we confess it before the Lord right now? for the lies, the slander, the gossip, the abuse? Can we come before the Lord and redeem the sins of our words by using our words as God intended? And that is to speak to Him before we speak to one another. Speak to Him after we speak to one another. So let's come honestly, humbly before the Lord right now and ask that God would heal, forgive, redeem, restore.
the sins that have come out of our lips as well. Can we do that? Let's pray for a few moments and uh, use our words as God intended to pray to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that with you there is forgiveness. We thank you, God, that with you there is a way for us to be forgiven, redeemed, restored for the ways that we have sinned against you and against our fellow brothers and sisters. God, we confess that we have lied, we have slandered, we have deceived, we have caused great damage to relationships because of rumors that we've spread. So, Lord, we pray for your forgiveness today. And we also pray for your peace to be established between us and you, our God in heaven, and between us and our brothers and sisters. We pray for peace and redemption restoration in a way that only you can give. And in Jesus' name.